let's take a moment and talk about churches. See, I grew up Baptist. You know, we had a lady in the corner playing the organ and we had our hymns in hand. Then in college, I found a vineyard church. You know, modern worship, guitar and drums, embrace the gifts of the spirit. And that was all new to me. Then in 2017, my family and I, we moved as I took a job at a large multi-site church in Michigan. You know, you think large speakers, monitors and mains, light show, the band played with in-ear monitors, a confidence monitor in the back that, that lets you know the exact second you needed to be on the stage and off the stage. I've also spent some time with mainland, uh, mainline and Catholic worship experiences too. Many attributes are prim and proper with lots of liturgy. But one of the most memorable experiences I've had in worship was when I was in Haiti. I showed up with my hosts to a building without windows or doors, just openings. The worship leader had a mobile microphone and speaker, and so did the pastor, who I couldn't understand at all. And I asked the couple who brought me what time it started because it seemed like we were standing around for a while. And the husband said, we start when everyone gets here. Some take longer than others. People have obligations, but it's okay. We are patient and we won't worship without everyone. And we sang, the spirit was there. We took communion and it glorified God. And you know what? All of those expressions I just described, I think in most ways, I believe, honored God. We have different preferences and traditions, but I believe worshiping God is a universal language. And I bring this up because different Christians do things differently. And that's not something to become legalistic or religious about. You know, the, we are uh, the only ones that get it truly right. Let's, let's not be that crowd. But instead celebrating the diversity of worship among the global church. That is a beautiful thing. And it brings us to this statement I want to say today. Because here at Rock Vineyard, we hold a paradoxical position. We are orthodox evangelicals who love the whole church. We are not interested in being the biggest church nor are we in the competition game. We don't compete in Louisville for souls. We have who God has called us to be, and we embrace that identity fully. And this idea actually leads us to our text today in Galatians. Just as a refresher, the writer of Galatians was a man named Paul. Previously, he was a religious terrorist persecuting Christians. But he had a vision of Jesus on his way to harm more Christians, and Jesus confronted him about it all. He would actually come to faith in Jesus, but something we are going to, we, we are learning, and we're going to continue to learn today in Galatians, is the difference between man-made religion and faith in Jesus, because religion is all about me, but redemption is all about Jesus. And Paul, strangely enough, personifies both of these. His old life as a religious fundamentalist to a follower of the way. Paul goes from persecutor to preacher. And, and that's, 
kind of what he got into at the end of chapter 1. And chapter 2 starts here. Here we go, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So what is going on in this? Well, Jerusalem was the mothership. It's where you went as a Christian or church leader to talk with the appointed elders and the apostles. Paul took Barnabas, which literally means gift of encouragement. And that is really who Barnabas was. But they go because of this revelation. A revelation is a vision. And this vision in particular was that God wanted to do something extraordinary. See, before this moment, the gospel of Jesus was viewed as another form of Judaism. It was for a short time, but it was seen as a subset of Judaism primarily belonging to Jewish people. See, God chose the Jewish people previously. There is a lot in your Bible about that. But this moment shifts that entirely because God, God's work, it moves primarily from thousands of years in Jewish culture, because of this revelation, will now extend into Gentile culture. That is you and that is me. That's non-Jewish people. And this is the magnitude of Paul's vision of, of God's revelation here in verse two. So Paul has this colossal vision and, and he goes to Jerusalem to have this confirmed with church leadership. I mean, how many of you have had moments like that where you have a vision or a word or you believe that God is speaking to you and you seek advice on it? Maybe you seek confirmation. That's what Paul does right here. This needs to be confirmed by godly leadership. But of course, we have a counterfeiter, right? God creates, but Satan counterfeits. Yeah, he can, he can act in ways that seem spiritual, but we need discernment. There's another reason local churches have elders and pastors to prayerfully discern with you because the truth is God loves you. He, he desires to speak to you and, and do and say things that only he can, sometimes through his word, his spirit, in prayer and in visions and revelations. And Paul recognizes this and he heads for church leadership in Jerusalem because they're going to have to figure this out. It's on the screen. Look at this, these two questions. What is the gospel versus what is cultural? We are pivoting away from Jewish exclusivity and into uncharted history-making territory. We better get this right. So what is the gospel and, and, and what is cultural? We've already established that circumcision is a cultural addition that's unnecessary to be saved. But is there more? Is it only Jesus? Or is it Jesus plus some things? Are, are certain works needed? Any Jewish customs whatsoever? Getting into church history for a moment here, really there are three options. The first option, number one, are there multiple gospels for multiple cultures? Number two, is there one gospel and one culture for the world? 
And the third option, which is underlined, may give the answer away. One gospel for every culture. And you know, some churches don't have doors and windows, and they start worship when everyone finally gets there. Other churches are so programmed out down to the second that they know the precise time to play the keys and start the click track. Other churches wear their Sunday best, and others, well, you show up in whatever you can find. And you know what? If the gospel is right, if Jesus is preached, then I believe God is honored. This is one gospel for every culture on earth or Mars or other universes. I don't know. Uh, whatever you choose to believe, you know. Hey, uh, just as a weird side note, because why not tell you this? Uh, I was asked recently, hey, pastor, what if aliens are real? You know, would that like ruin things? What would go on? And I just said, well, that would be awesome. And I would tell them about Jesus. I, I am not kidding. And as crazy as it sounds, I, I mean that. One gospel, every culture, I don't care. I think I just saw someone whisper to their spouse, this is your last Sunday at this church. <laughs> this guy's wanting to baptize aliens. I digress. Onward, verse three, strangest transition ever. Verse three, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. Again, Paul is mentioning this because it's culturally significant. Titus is Greek. He's a believer in Jesus, and he is not circumcised, and he will not be circumcised. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers, okay, pause, false brothers, you know, think uh, uh, a Judas Iscariot type of person, a false brother. Uh, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. That's not literal slavery, by the way. Slavery being religious rules, preferences, policies, their fears, their threats, their punishments, their non-essentials of the faith. They are claiming are essentials to the faith. That's what he's talking about. Verse five. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. He's saying we didn't back down so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse six, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. And so Paul, really quick, uh, he is describing his encounter with these false brothers. And he's saying, yeah, you know, a couple of them seemed influential, but it made no difference to me. You know, they, they seem to be important around here, but they, they did nothing for me. And, and this is a significant encounter because there are two sides here fighting for this church. Paul and, and his crew that preached Jesus plus nothing is salvation. And then these culturally biased false brothers who are teaching Jesus plus something. And, and honestly, this fight is nothing new. I mean, when you think about what life was like before the fall of humanity, right? Pre-fall, Satan was trying to go after the head, the leader, which was God. And when he couldn't do that, he went after Adam and Eve, the leaders of humanity, the first humans. Well, and here we are. It's the same play again. Post-fall, Satan is trying to work from within, right? Through, through fallen angels, through Judas, and, and now these false brothers. So God creates... Satan counterfeits. And when we fall for the counterfeits, 
You see, we enslave ourselves. We chain ourselves to religious monotony and laws and rules. But Jesus frees us from those chains. And Paul, he comes in to preach grace, that your faith is a gift. You do not need to live under the law, but by grace in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? But this creates a dangerous tension. And, and it still exists today where certain faith traditions are handed down like they are on God's non-negotiables list. I was, I was praying this week about how to phrase this because it's really important that we're clear and careful here. See, the gospel, it is simple. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. Why? Because he loves you, um, but you are far from God. And Jesus brings you back to your creator through the forgiveness of your sins. It's simple, right? But sometimes we add to God's list and, and we can become arrogant. We can become pretentious and, and we start thumbing our noses at fellow believers who do things differently. And we start pointing the finger and we start asking, hey, should you dress like that? How much secular music do you listen to? Do you see R-rated movies? How do you educate your kids? How much do you tithe? How, uh, why aren't you at church 52 Sundays of the year like me? Do you give money to the poor? Do you homeschool your kids? Like, I think we all have experienced this. The people who ask these questions, they would likely say, no, those don't, those aren't necessary to being saved. But my goodness, you are judged like it matters. And so we must resist the pull to divide and label one another and act like we have gospel justification to do it. There have always been and likely always will be religious folks who are more concerned over modern day non-essential practices than they are their own need for a changed heart. Religious rules ruin everything. And while this might feel heavy right here in this moment, right now as I speak, Paul is, is at odds with these false brothers across from him for the same reasons, and it's way heavier. See, when we try to do God's job for him, it always leads to us condemning and shaming and unjustly judging others over things that God doesn't have a problem with. These are cultural differences, not gospel imperatives. Call me crazy, but I think you can be a church of 12 people and a keyboard and you can still honor God. I think you can be a church of 12,000 and a full band and smoke machines and dry ice on the floors and, and all that stuff. And I believe you can still honor God. I believe you can wear priestly robes and collars or ripped jeans and a hoodie. And it still honors God. Don't get zealous over religious preferences, which by the way, we all have. I'm not up here preaching against religious people like we aren't at times religious people or I'm not. It's, it's fine to have preferences, but do not force those preferences onto others. Do not elevate those preferences into essentials. I mean, I've been a pastor for 10, 11 years now, and, and you know, you can almost sense when these sorts of people kind of enter the room, uh, they are, you know, uh, they're, they're walking with kind of a commanding tone, and for whatever reason, they speak with some sort of authority, you know. And, and they want to ask, you know, uh, who's in charge around here? And, and I want to be gracious, but if my heart had eyes, they would roll way back because when I encounter folks like that, I just, 
I think the same thing. Here we go. And, and you know, it's never a light conversation. You know, people will say, I have questions. But that's not usually the case. Usually, usually you're being put on trial in their mind for everything you're about to say. This, this is not a conversation. This is an interrogation. And again, they all kind of go the same way. You know, like, uh, what translation do you use? And I've learned to just respond with, a good one. Or, uh, you know, they'll ask, uh, homeschool, private school, public school. I just say yes. Do you speak in tongues? And I just kind of sigh. And I say, yabba-dabba-do, we have some of us who do, you know. And because those things are not essentials to the gospel. And if I'm ever questioned on my commitment, you know, pastor, you need to be more committed. I will always answer the same way. We are committed. We are committed to grace in Jesus and Jesus alone. Rock Vineyard is about the gospel of Jesus and living grace-filled, imperfect lives. And if you can't go with that, you will find plenty of churches in this city that will check all of those boxes you want. And, and we mean this, and I mean this. I'm, I am not saying this in a backhanded way or with venom. But go in peace if that is where you're at. We are brothers and sisters under King Jesus. If this isn't where you should be, then, then go in peace. You'll always have a warm smile and you will get a hug from me, one you obviously didn't ask for, if you ever come back and, and, and visit. Just don't let religious preferences influence your love for fellow believers. Speaking of fellow believers, Paul goes on to say this in, in verse seven. Look at this. On the contrary, when they saw, that's the apostles in Jerusalem, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, um, that simply means Peter was primarily a preacher to the Jews. Paul, primarily a preacher to the Gentiles. Okay, verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and I, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's wrap up right here. Uh, by the way, the reason for that last line, remember the poor, this was because there was a famine among the Jews at the time. And so they were asking uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, if you're going to go to the Gentiles, please don't forget about your brothers and sisters who are experiencing famine. But Paul lays it out, okay? Here it is. Paul gets the seal of approval from the apostles to go preach the gospel. You know, you got it right. And, and he gets to do this to another culture. And this literally changed the church forever. I mean, you could look back on this and say, we exist as a church today because of this handshake. <laughs> and I think that's amazing. We are going to pick up from there next week. But here is our application for today as, as we land the plane here. When it comes to the gospel versus religious preferences and legalism, we really need to examine ourselves this morning. And I mean, uh, how do you know if you're a legalist? How do you know if your faith is more law-based or rule-following or, or grace-based and Jesus-centered? Well, here it is. You'll see these on the screen, okay? 
This is the law versus grace. Here it is. The law magnifies sin. Grace magnifies forgiveness. That is a world of difference. Uh, the law relies on your active work. Grace relies on Jesus' finished work. The law says you have to behave to belong, but grace says you belong and your behavior eventually reflects that. The law says your disobedience equals your disqualification. And grace says Jesus' obedience is greater than your disobedience. And so today, as the Holy Spirit fills us and compels us and convicts us and corrects us, could we pray in this moment, could we enter into this space believing that God is wanting to speak to us right now?